My name's Caleb, for those of you who don't know, I'm one of the leaders here at Gateway. And um, today I'm going to start off with a book review. We don't do this very often, do we? There's a book I've been reading. I can't stop reading it. Uh, it's completely and utterly changed my life and I highly recommend it. It's called The Bible. <laughs> really straightforward. Um, I, I want to highly recommend it to you. Um, I've read it several times, cover to cover, and uh, every time I read it, it gets better each time I read it. Uh, it has completely and utterly changed my, my, my life. If um, Sometimes people compare, don't they, a, a kind of the Bible with food. And uh, if you are trying to get healthy, the most important thing you can do is eat regularly healthy food. I want to suggest that if you want to get fit for purpose, one of the, the best things you can do that will give you like a, a healthy, spiritually healthy diet is, is read your Bible on a regular basis. Um, I've been absolutely blown away this week um, by the fact that I just posted something on Slack. Um, I haven't got my phone with me right here, but posted something on Slack, a link to a Bible reading plan that we've suggested people do on the YouVersion Bible app. And, then, and there are now more than 50 people in the church reading it together and many of you commenting each day on what you are learning. And it's incredible that 50 people can read the same one chapter a day of the Bible and, uh, and can, God can speak to people in 50 different ways. It's quite incredible. There are links on Slack if you want to kind of get involved in that and be a part of it, or you can just pick up your Bible and read it one chapter a day, starting at Matthew 1 uh, through until Easter. You will, even if you start today on Matthew 1, you will still, I think, finish the Gospels by Easter just about. Um, so I want to highly recommend that. I just think, you know, if you look at any mature Christian who you admire, you will dig down and you will find that they regularly read their Bible. Uh, it is good for us. Somebody once said to me, um, if you're crying out for God to speak to you, 99% of everything he ever wants to say to you, he has already said it, it is written down in the Bible and it's there for you to read and to, to mine down for, to find the treasure uh, within. Uh, so um, that's that and we'll actually be talking about the Bible today as well because it's so good. Um, the Christmas story is great. It's been great to celebrate Christmas together, hasn't it? Wave at me if you've had a good Christmas this year. Yeah, it's been a bit different, hasn't it, for most of us, but the Christmas story remains just such a key part of what we believe about God, a God who came to earth as a child that first Christmas. And uh, the reality is that that first Christmas, when Jesus stepped down into our humanity, became one of us and lived his life, his life had a trajectory. It was heading somewhere, wasn't it? And uh, yes, ultimately we believe Jesus' life was headed to his death on the cross and his resurrection in which we find salvation. He was the perfect sacrifice that God required and we are saved from our sin and forgiven because of that. That is ultimately where the Christmas story heads. Uh, but it's really important that we don't skip over what happens between those two stories. There were 33 years of Jesus' life um, and three years in particular where he had this public ministry, where he went and travelled around uh, his nation, uh, talking to people, performing all kinds of wonderful things. And it is really important for us to, to dig down, because that's as much part of the Jesus story as the ending, as the, the, the cross and the resurrection. And so we are um, going to be, over the next few weeks, 
uh, looking um, at some of these stories from Jesus' life and his ministry. Uh, we're going to be doing that from the book of Matthew, which so happens to be my favourite book of the Bible. Uh, I'm not really why, I just absolutely love it. And uh, I don't know if, if, if you've been around for a few years, you may remember that in December 2016, um, we, had, uh, we started an Advent series looking at Matthew chapter 1 and 2. Uh, and then in January 2017, we carried on and we did a little series called Starting Right, where we looked at the beginning of Jesus's, Jesus's public ministry, and that was in uh, Matthew chapters 3 and 4. Um, and then we just carried on. In February 2017, uh, for several months actually, we, we camped out in Matthew chapters 5 to 7, commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we just took it passage by passage. I don't know if you remember that. Um, but we talked about all mm. kinds of different things. So we started out talking about the Beatitudes. Occasionally, um, some, somebody comes up to me and, uh, and uses the phrase, good on you, uh, which was a reference to a, a, a talk, which most of my talks are not memorable at all, and I forget them fairly quickly. Uh, but the Beatitudes, one I'd read in a commentary about um, how one of... The, the translation of the Beatitudes, it's like blessed are, and then Jesus gives a category. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who are, who are meek. Blessed are all these different groups of people who are blessed. And, um, and in, uh, in, in this commentary, basically said blessed just doesn't capture it particularly well. Uh, they, he actually said that the Australian term good on you is a better translation. And uh, there was an Australian lady in the church at the time who I asked, what, what would it mean when somebody came up to you and said, good on you? And she said, when my dad used to say that to me growing up, what it meant, what it conveyed to me was like, really well done you, not just for who you are and what you've just done, but for who you are becoming. And, uh, and that really stuck with me. And, uh, and this was the translation. And so, so there was this sense of like God saying to these groups of people who are persecuted, who are who, who are meek, all these different categories of people. God's saying, good on you, like, well done you for who you are becoming. And, uh, and so we started out in the Beatitudes. I'm not going to give you a summary of every talk we did in that series. There was a lot, but we talked about salt and light. We talked about the place of the law. We talked about anger and adultery and divorce and vows and revenge and love for enemies, and giving, and prayer, and money and possessions, and worry, and judging others, and wisdom, and what it means to be true disciples. And then we wrapped it all up talking about how Jesus presents this teaching, his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And he gives us that picture, doesn't he, of the man who builds his house on a rock, and the man who builds his life on the sand. And he says, look, if you build your life on this solid teaching, uh, then when the storms of life come, uh, you will uh, not be blown down. So we, we looked at all kinds of talks within that. And, uh, at the end of that passage, uh, the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7, uh, what we read uh, right at, at verse 28 of Matthew 7, right at the end, Matthew summarizes this. And it says this, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of the religious law. This is kind of Matthew's overview at the end of this section of teaching. And what Matthew is saying is that the crowds were amazed. This was their response. And what were they amazed by? They were amazed at his authority. He was somebody who taught 
They could tell when he spoke. He spoke with real authority. And that was what amazed them. Jesus, through the, the Sermon on the Mount, has demonstrated his authority through his teaching. Uh, and then we move on to Matthew chapters 8 and 9. And this is where we're going to be spending some time uh, in the coming weeks uh, as well, section by section, going through these two chapters. And uh, this, these two chapters are a collection of stories, uh, really mostly of miracles. Um, and then there is some more teaching from chapter 10 onwards. And in these two chapters of the book of Matthew, more than half, or exactly half, I think, actually, half of all the miracles of Jesus in the book of Matthew are contained in these two short chapters. There are 10 miracles in all, and actually nine stories, and one of them has two miracles within it. They're grouped in three sections of three, and between those three groups, there's a little kind of break in the narrative about the miracles where there's a little bit of kind of teaching on discipleship. Um, about other things. And we're not going to get too much into the rest of it today because we're going to explore that in the coming weeks. Um, but within chapter 9 of Matthew, uh, verse 8, what we get as a reaction to one of these miracles that Jesus performs, uh, what we get is this as the response. Fear swept through the crowd as they saw this happen, and they praised God for giving humans what? For giving humans such authority. Obviously, they're talking about Jesus here. They'd give, he had give, they praised God for giving him such authority. So what we have is this first section, the, the Sermon on the Mount, this collection of teaching. The, the crowd were amazed at his authority that they saw in his teaching. In chapters 8 and 9, the reaction to this is, again, that it's kind of fear and awe and amazement at what? At his authority through these miracles. Um, the, the commentator, R.T. France, you know somebody's intelligent when they just use their initials in their name on a book, right? Rather than, I don't know, what is his name? Roger. Just sounds better, doesn't it? R.T. France. Uh, he, he writes this about these two passages. I, I love it. It's quite meaty, so I might have to go slowly. Uh, he says this. He says, these two anthologies, he's talking about the, these are kind of anthologies, are collections of stories, uh, first in the teaching and then second with the miracles. These two anthologies though very differently constructed, form a matching pair. And together, they leave no doubt that the story of Jesus in Galilee is, as the prologue to the gospel has told us to expect, that of the Messiah, the Son of God, breaking in upon the humdrum lives of his fellow countrymen and calling them to decision. As the crowds appropriately comment at the end of this anthology, Israel has never seen anything like this before. Isn't that a great summary of just that, that whole section, those two sections? That this, what, what is presented to us is Jesus, the Messiah. He's, he's demonstrating his authority through teaching and through miracles. And in doing so, he is breaking in upon the humdrum lives of his fellow countrymen and calling them to decision. Isn't that what Jesus is still doing today? Breaking into our humdrum lives and calling us to decision. 
Who do you believe I am? Do you believe I am somebody who has power and authority? Am I the Messiah? This is what God has been doing for centuries, breaking into humdrum lives and calling people to decision. That's what Alpha is about. It's for people who are exploring and it's calling them to a point of decision, presenting Jesus in his authority and saying, look, we believe he is the Messiah. Who do you believe he is? It is what God has been doing throughout history and continues to do today. So like I said, over the next few weeks, we're going to be embarking on a series right through until Easter. Uh, We're calling this Encountering Jesus because pretty much all of it um, is about a different encounter Jesus has with a group of people and how that impacts on them and how his power and his authority impact on people. So uh, today we are going to dive straight in to Matthew chapter 8, the first little story that we read and uh, obviously starts at verse 1 and uh, in Matthew's account this happens straight after the Sermon on the Mount where he has been up a mountainside teaching and uh, what we read is this, at large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside, suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him, Lord the man said, If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus said to him, don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. Now, this, this, is, a, this is a story with, with a lot going on. Um, it's a great story. And uh, in, in kind of New Testament times around this time, the, the, the word leprosy, we, we kind of now believe it's probably not equivalent to the common day disease that we know as leprosy, but was a generic term for, for any kind of disfiguring skin condition uh, that was believed to be contagious, that people had a kind of visible thing going on with their skin uh, that was believed to be contagious. And now the thing about leprosy, and, and you can read some of this if you go back to your Old Testament and you read in Leviticus um, 13 and 14, the thing about leprosy, and, and Levit- Leviticus 13 and 14 provides a bit of a foundation for how this disease was meant to be dealt with um, by God's people, but was actually added to with kind of later teaching that isn't in our Bible as well. But what it meant was that somebody who had leprosy, a disfiguring skin condition, um, they, th- this condition rendered this per- the afflicted person ritually unclean. And not just for a set period of time, but for as long as you had it. So in the Old Testament, what you get is there are, there are certain rules and regulations and restrictions. We all know about restrictions these days, don't we? But they had some of their own back then as well. And there were things like if you touched a, a dead animal or something like that, you remained unclean for a set period of time. The, the, the vast majority of these things, these things you encountered or illnesses you had or things going on with you, you were unclean, richly unclean 
um, for a certain period of time. The thing with leprosy is that for as long as you had it, you remained unclean. And what this meant was that you were excluded from normal life and worship. You were not allowed to participate in the normal kind of communal things of life. You actually had to exist away from other people's homes. And uh, it is kind of commonly remarked upon that there was no other disease of the time that, that had social stigma attached to it. There just wasn't anything like it. If you had a disfiguring skin condition, you were held right at the margins on the outside of community life. You had to exist away from people. And, uh, and what we also read <clears throat> is that if this condition was cured, there was a process you had to go through. And, uh, and what that involved was going to the priest for examination. The priest would examine you, and if you were found that the skin condition had gone away, uh, then you had to present an offering. There was a cleansing ritual that you could go through. Uh, but once you had completed this process, you would now be pronounced clean and allowed back into society. And... Uh, What's really interesting about this is that in the New Testament, the, the writers make a really clear distinction between leprosy and other diseases in terms of when Jesus or other people later in the New Testament, when somebody is healed of any other disease, the word used is healed. But with leprosy, um, the, most often the word used is actually somebody is made clean. There's, there's something else going on here in this healing. It, it is a physical healing. This person, this man, has a physical disfiguring skin condition that is healed, but he is also made clean. You see it in, in the, the passage itself, don't you? He, he asks for it himself. He says, if you are willing, Jesus, you can heal me and make me clean. And then in Jesus's you know, kind of response, uh, he says, go to the priest, do, go through this process uh, for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been what? You have been cleansed. There was something going on here beyond just a physical healing. Jesus, yes, was, was, was concerned for this man's physical state. But the reality is, for, for somebody with leprosy in those times, the physical illness was only part of it. Actually, a bigger part of it was the social aspects. This, this thing of being excluded, of being left on the margins, of being outcast from society. And Jesus heals him and makes him clean. He doesn't, you know, Jesus could have healed him and just said, great, you're healed, off you go. No, he doesn't. He heals him and then he tells him to go through the proper process by which this man can be now properly integrated back into society. Jesus is so interested in this man's physical condition and his social restoration. That is clearly what Jesus is, is instructing him to do. This will be a public testimony that you've been cleansed. You, you will be, this will be done with forever. You will be allowed back in to society and into community. 
Isn't that just a typical, like, wow, Jesus moment of like, this is why we love him, right? <laughs> this is why Jesus is so good. He, 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 this isn't just a kind of, you know, demonstration of his power and authority by doing some miracle and then, and then wandering off. That's not the Jesus we love and worship, is it? This is the Jesus who is interested in, in this man's physical condition, but also his social standing, the way that he is, the regard that he is held with in society. Jesus cares about the whole person. Do, do you know that is true for you today as much as it is for, for this man who was excluded from society? Jesus cares about all of you, the whole of you, not just your physical health, but, but your emotional health, your spiritual health, your mental health, your social health. Jesus is interested and cares and wants you to be fully restored. That is true of you. That's the Jesus we worship. He has the power to heal and restore. You, this is Jesus. <laughs> this is who he is. And this is going to be a theme through many of these stories to come. Jesus has the power and the heart. He, he has the love for people that he wants to see people healed and restored. And there's a little bit of a challenge here for us too as well, isn't there? You know, this is, this is true for, for us, like absolutely 100% true for us. And if you have, have been, you know, in some way feel like you've been pushed to the margins of society or there's something about you that other people find socially unacceptable, you're held at arm's length by people, like you need to hear today that Jesus is looking at all of you and he cares about every part of your life, including that. Like, you and I need to hear that, that, that God loves us and accepts us and wants us to be in healthy relationship with other people. But there's a challenge to, to this as well, isn't there? There's a, there's a challenge to, to, to you and me as part of the body of Christ, as part of God's hands and feet in this world now, in that Jesus cares about all people particularly those who have been cast out by society. And now that you and I are part of his body, then it's on us to do the same, right? This is the challenging part of this story for me. Do, do I care about the people who are on the margins of society? The people who are, you know, just held in the lowest esteem by our media, our our society as a whole. Am I just getting caught up in that and feeling the same way about people who've been cast out by society? Or am I being countercultural here? Do, do I have the same heart as society or do I have the same heart that Jesus has for those who've been cast out from society? That's a challenge to us, isn't it? Because the church needs to be a place that, that models Jesus and that says, you know what, no matter what your past, no matter what you have done, no matter how society might regard you, you can be part of God's family. That, that has to be who the church is, right? Because we're the body of Christ. We're not trying to model or fit into society or look to you know, certain newspapers to determine who we should and shouldn't like. <laughs> We should be looking at Jesus. 
Jesus says, I am willing when this man asks for healing. An outcast from society approaches him, says, if you are willing, you can heal me. And Jesus says, I am willing. If somebody who, I don't know, I, I, I don't want to, yeah, I'm aware that the kid's watching and, you know, got to be careful about these things. But for, maybe for you, maybe think of who in our society today are the most, like, looked down upon people? Who, who is just widely hated by society these days? Think of that person. If that person came and said, can I be part of your church? <laughs> what would your response be? Would it be, yes, we are willing? Or would we say that an inside thing? Well, oh, but I really hope you don't come. Like, we've, we've just got to, I feel like this story is an opportunity just for a bit of a check in us. Like, how are we responding to the people who everyone else looks down on? The people maybe at the school drop-off gate who are, are a bit different to how you might consider yourself. Or that person in your workplace who everybody just thinks is a little bit odd and nobody really wants to spend their lunch break with. Or maybe for you kids at school, it's the, it's the kid in your class who is bullied, who nobody really wants to play with at playtime. How are we feeling about that person? I believe that God, by his spirit, can transform us from the inside out. And, and he can renew our hearts. And he can give us a heart transplant for people like this that society rejects and pushes away. Because God's heart is for everyone. And his heart is always particularly for those who have been cast out. And, you know, the, the Bible tells us that God sets the lonely in families, right? And he does that in really practical ways in setting lonely people who are excluded by society into his family, the church. So there's, there's an encouraging word for us here this morning that I want us to hear. Like, God loves us and he cares for us and he cares about the whole of us. We need to hear that. But there's also, it comes kind of hand in hand with a challenge of then, therefore, how do we relate to others who society might look down upon? How do we act? Jesus gets hands on with this person and he looks to heal and restore. So this morning, I, th I think one of the things that is, um, musicians, do you want to kind of come back up and um, get yourself ready? We're not really sure what's going to happen next, but... Um, which, which always is a good thing in my book most of the time. But, um, but, but I guess you look at these two passages, these two chapters in the New Testament, and you are impacted by the power of Jesus. Like, you can't get away from the fact that he does miraculous things. The, the response of the people is that when, um, I've just lost it, fear swept through the crowd as they saw this happen and they praised God for giving humans such authority. People were, were, were kind of fearful, kind of in awe at Jesus' power to do things, not just his power to say things. If there's anything that this section coming straight off the back of the Sermon on the Mount tells us is that Jesus worked in power and in teaching. And for us, we need to be the kind of people, the kind of church who, who aren't just, you know, we don't talk about things. We don't just talk the talk. We don't just teach about how wonderful Jesus is and about how, we, how wonderful it was that Jesus healed back then. We've got to be people who are continually seeking God for him to work 
in and through us now in, in powerful ways, right? The, the Jesus of Matthew 8 and 9 is the Jesus who then said this, the same power that raised Christ, Jesus didn't say this, just correcting myself, it was probably Paul, said that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. And we get to experience that and be part of that, right? So I'm just thinking here this morning, maybe it would be a good idea for us to approach God this morning, the God of power this morning, and, and, and ask him to move in power. Are we up for that this morning? Shall, shall we do that together? So what, what I'm going to do, I'm, I'm, I'm going to lead us through this in, in a couple of different ways, I think. And, um, and the first is, is at, at the heart of this story, there's obviously a physical healing that takes place. And we believe that God heals today don't we? Yeah, we, we believe that is true. I, I would love you just to kind of raise your hand. And uh, I'm aware there'll be 50 odd people on YouTube watching this who I can't see. I can see the 50 who are on, um, on Zoom here in front of me and the people in the room. Uh, but I would love you to, to raise your hand, even if you're watching on YouTube. If, if you know that actually you're kind of asking that question of Jesus this morning, the same as that guy was saying, Jesus, let me just find it again. What does he say exactly? He comes to Jesus and he says, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. He's making a statement of faith, isn't he? You can heal me and make me clean. But I know that it's kind of, you've got to be willing. Jesus says, yes, I am willing. This morning, we believe Jesus can heal, don't we? Is he willing? I believe Jesus is saying, yes, I am willing. So I would love you just wherever you are at home in the room, just to raise your hand if this morning there's just something going on with you that you need healing or you're kind of, yeah, God, that's me. I'm asking you today. God, if you're willing, would you heal me? Okay. I, I would love you just to raise your hand where you are and, and, and we're going to just pray. There's a lot of hands raised. Father, we come to you this morning as a God who doesn't just say nice things and tell us that we are loved, but as a God of power. God, we just come to you this morning. With our illnesses, our ailments, we say, Holy Spirit, would you come and heal? Would you come and restore? We believe you can. We believe you can heal and you can cleanse. And so we say, in the name of Jesus, we ask for healing. believe Jesus you were given authority over every sickness and disease and you still have that authority today so I just want to pray for every single person with their hands raised Holy Spirit would you come and would you fill them from the top of their heads to the tips of their toes
would you flow through bodies, Holy Spirit, healing and restoring, taking away pain and fixing what is broken. God, we love to get hands on in prayer, but God, we're not allowed to do that at the moment. Well, I guess if you're sitting at home with somebody you're in a household with, you could lay a hand on that person with a hand up. You can do that. But God, even without hands laid on, we believe in faith that you can heal. In fact, we've seen that before in this church, even pre-COVID days, you healing remotely. And so, God, we come to you full of confidence that you are doing a healing work amongst us this morning. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and heal. We receive your healing in faith this morning, God. Father, I just want to pray as well for anyone who is watching or here this morning who feels like a a little bit like that leper in terms of how society or others in society treat them or feel about them. God, I want to pray for anyone who feels like a, a, a kind of social leper today, held at arm's length, looked down upon, excluded in some way. God, we thank you that you set the lonely in families. We thank you that Jesus, you got hands on with people like this man and others who were outcast from society. We believe, Jesus, that you would do the same for every person today who feels cast out, rejected, that you would lovingly embrace them and you would seek to restore them, to communal life and worship. And God, we just want to submit ourselves to you as well and pray that God where where we need to be challenged on our attitudes towards others where we need to be challenged on the way we feel about certain people in our hearts or people who've done certain things or people who live a certain way God we so need a heart transplant on that We need your heart, Jesus. Would you challenge us? Where where our hearts have, have got hard, would you break them for what breaks yours? Would you soften our hearts towards those who we might just have put up walls between us and them, might keep our distance from? I'm just going to invite us in a moment of quiet to, I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit just maybe to to drop in to our minds, like one one person 
or one category of person who we might have just grown hard towards in our heart. Just going to pray. Holy Spirit, would you just lay the names of people on our heart now? Would you show us who you're calling us to, to love, to welcome, to accept, to, to extend a hand of friendship towards? I believe the Holy Spirit is just going to He's going to put, put names and faces of people into your mind this morning as we ask him. God, would you do that for each of us? Challenge us, but then by your spirit, give us your heart for these people. I was just reminded this morning of uh, the, the, the verses in... 2 Timothy where uh, Paul writes this to Timothy he says for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity but of power love and self-discipline and that's, that's the heart that Jesus has right that's the spirit that Jesus has power, love and self-discipline. That's what he needed to, in, in this encounter with the man with leprosy, he demonstrated power, he healed him, love, he restored him and he had the self-discipline to do it. <laughs> Maybe that's where we sometimes fall down, is we, we know in theory we've got the, the power and the love for, for people who are broken we need that self-discipline we need to put fear and timidity aside and we need to grasp the spirit that you have given us to step out in faith to pray for people to welcome people to restore people god we want to be your hands and feet in this world we want to be part of this miraculous wonderful kingdom you're creating where everyone gets to be a part where people are healed and restored. God, we want to be part of that. We don't want to be looking in from the margins. We don't want to be on the sidelines. We want to be right in the heart of it with you, <laughs> welcoming people in, restoring people, healing people. Holy Spirit, come and move in us as we spend time in the coming months looking at these stories. Would you increase our level of faith and expectation for all that you want to do in and through each and every one of us? Even those of us who might write ourselves off for not being good enough, not being powerful enough, not reading our Bibles enough, not being the right kind of people. God, every single one of us would you use us in mighty and powerful ways? Would that be the reaction of people around us in our lives? That fear swept through the crowd that God had given such authority to even humans. Would that be said of us, God? 
because we stepped up and said yes to all you want to do in and through us. Thank you, Father.